0: Everybody, Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm
1: Danielle Henderson.
0: And yes, hello. Happy New Year. It's a it's a brand new year of us talking about movies with you. Danielle.
1: Happy New Year. What did you do for um for New Year's? How was your break?
0: Uh, break was good. Did absolutely nothing on New Year's, as I always do. Sweets.
1: yeah. I um I appreciate that. You know, that I love it.
0: Yeah. I. You know, it's so funny because now I think back to, like, my 20s, especially my 20s, but even in my 30s. And I remember I used to go out every year for New Year's. And, and I, I talked about this, I think, last year, but I used to work on New Year's Eve because I used to be a DJ. And that was, yeah. like, a really good excuse to just be like, well, I got something to do. Like, I don't have to come up with a thing that, you know is really stressful and it's really, really loaded. And then, you know, if it doesn't work out perfectly, then
1: I'm going to have a fucking bad year. Why do people think that? That's so fucked up. <laughs> There's so much pressure for for New Year's for that reason, because people like att- attach all these arbitrary bad things that could happen if you don't party or get drunk enough. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> so far that hasn't really panned out to be that well, way. It's just been No, fun. I know, exactly.
0: And you know, the other thing that I fucking resent the hell out of is that, It's like a second Valentine's Day. Ugh. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Like, it's like people feel really stressed out if they don't, like, find love on New Year's Eve or some
1: shit. Or have someone to go out with on New Year's Eve. And I'm like, good Lord, let, let me stay at home and do laundry and be happy.
0: Oh, I know. And, like, that was the thing was that, like, so for many years I worked new year's eve and then i would then when i didn't i was always like stressing the fuck out about well now i gotta go find a party outfit now i gotta go out with somebody because god forbid you end up like fucking meg ryan and when harry met sally the demonic film that set all these rules for people that are ruining our lives (laughs)
1: life ruining a life ruining film and look people still people still comment and write in and they're like I still love this movie. It's like, great, you're allowed to. I think it is a life ruiner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this, that kind of tradition thing where you're like, well, I can't be alone on New Year's. And then I, I, now I'm, I'm like, Oh, my God, I only want to be alone on New Year's. It's like a, mm-hmm. a perfect time to catch up on sleep, on movies. I don't know. Does that make me sound sad? Is that sad? No.
1: Listen, for you know how I am. From Thanksgiving through New Year's, I don't give a fuck about a holiday. I don't care. I don't want to be around people. Most of the year, I don't want to be around people. I especially don't want to be around people during the holidays. And it is I get, it's wonderful. I get so much done during the holidays because nobody bothers me. You're all hanging out with your dumb families and nobody is calling or emailing or do like, it's just free time. Yeah. Like, why would I not take advantage of that? I love hanging out with myself. I'm so fucking fun and rad. Like, yeah. I'm not bored or boring. Like, I love being alone. I love hanging out by myself. <laughs> like, yeah. give me these, this month and a half to not have the weird social pressure of having to go out and do shit. And I did, I did, I came up with a new tradition for myself this year, though. Ooh, let's hear it. For New Year's. And a great way to skip all the bullshit on New Year's Eve is to be on a plane. So I went to London over the break. Oh, hell yeah. And I flew out on New Year's Eve and landed on New Year's Day. Like, I flew overnight. Oh, wow. Fucking dope. Fell asleep, woke up in another country, and it's a new year. (laughs) Was the plane, like, a party plane? Like,
0: I always, like, wondered about that, is if, like, you know, if you're actually on a plane during a holiday, whether or not, like, do you turn up on the plane?
1: Not my plane. My plane was not, like, fucking... What was that Snoop Dogg movie? Like, the fucking party Soul plane? plane. Soul plane. (laughs) Only soul plane. It was not... And if they tried to make it soul plane, I would have asked for a full fucking refund. A full fucking refund. Like, I don't care that it's New Year's. Have some decorum. We're on a goddamn plane. Go to sleep. It's a red eye. Shut your mouth.
0: Well, and according to films, I must say this. Anytime anybody working on New Year's decides to party at their workplace, bad things
1: happen. Oh, especially in midair? Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how? if you decided to take this shift or were unfortunate enough to have this shift... You just gotta take the L. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't turn this into your personal party. I don't wanna see a fucking a, a hat. I don't wanna see a one of those streamers like blowing that you blow or the party horns or whatever they're called. Just let me get on this plane and be an adult and wake up somewhere else. That's what I want.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad that you did it. Did you have a good time?
1: I had a dope time. I went and saw some friends and I kind of I do this thing I've noticed over the past couple of years where I'm super isolated and then I just bug out and I'm like I gotta go <laughs> and I'll go somewhere else like another country or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. And that's kind of what happened this time. Is I was like, uh, I gotta go because um, this pat Look, 2022 was a fucking misery trip. It was miserable for me in mm. many, many, many ways, and um, I needed some time to just chill. And I know that I can do that in London. Like, my friends are not high pressure. It's just like, I'm going to be here for four or five days. Let's get lunch. Let's hang out. And then you kind of naturally... I don't know. I just I always kind of naturally see things that I like um, or just kind of see parts of the city just by doing that, just by being like, let's go here for lunch, or let's do this, or let's go to... Like, I I usually try to go to at least one museum. Um, This time I went to Victoria and Albert. I hadn't been in a while. And I try to just just chill out and walk around. <laughs> and that's like awesome. my, my joy right now of traveling to cities is just being in them. Yeah. Um, but also, I just, I really needed, I needed, as we've talked about, I've ne- I need to relearn how to relax. And I haven't told the listeners this, you know this, because we talk all the time, but um, my grandma went into a nursing home a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And it was such a monumental decision But it wasn't a hard decision because we talked about it. Uh, I've been her power of attorney for like a decade. And so I know what all her wishes are. I know what, like, you know, what she wants. And we also talked about it, um, you know, a couple months leading up to this decision uh, because it was hard. It was really hard to have her here. Um, I kind of couldn't leave the house. I hired a nurse to be with her while I was working. Right. Um, So, I would take care of her in the morning, get her up, get her showered, get her dressed, get her fed. Um the nurse would come and then I would take care of her at night, you know, give her dinner, <laughs> hang out with her, get her in her jammies, get her to bed, and she just wasn't loving it. She just wasn't loving it at my house. I think that it was a little bit it was just kind of disorienting for her in the you know the first month or two because of her dementia. But her dementia is progressing to a point where she needs full-time care. Mm-hmm. And I personally couldn't do that. And I also couldn't afford to pay for someone to do that. Uh, and my family is zero help. I haven't seen her talk to my family since she moved in. They kind of were like, I mean, I'm projecting now. I don't know what they're like because I haven't talked to them. But I think it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Like she's with Danielle. Danielle will take care of it. Right. And I sat down with them and had like an actual meeting like, a family meeting in July, and I was like, look, I'm struggling. Like, I need a weekend, even if it's just two hours on the weekend, where I can go to Target and by myself and come back. Like, I can't do anything. I had to arrange my whole life around when her nurse would be here during the week, and during that time, I was working. So there'd be times where I'd have to take, like, my lunch break at work to go grocery shopping, and because that's the only time I could do it. Um, But also, she was just getting, like, she was getting really mean. And our relationship was kind of suffering because she just, like, I was the only one she could take it out on. And I was the only person around. And so, you know, in her confusion and her discomfort and her just kind of general, she just really wasn't doing well. And her dementia is just, it's just progressing. You know, it happens that way with this disease. And uh, so I talked, you know, we talked about it with her doctor. I talked about it with her and she's in a nursing home right down the street. So I still see her every day and they take incredibly good care of her. Um, the nurses, I could not speak highly enough about that profession or the nurses that she's with. But we have a good time. I have, I have an old lady gang now, because I see her all the time. So oh, I yeah. see everyone else all the time. So her friend Gloria, uh, she has a friend named Mary Elizabeth. Like, she just has all these cool little old ladies that she hangs out with. She also has an enemy. My grandmother is not happy unless she has an enemy of some kind. So she has, <laughs> arbitrarily, she has arbitrarily chosen a nonverbal bedbound woman to be her enemy. Wow. Like we were in the lunchroom. <laughs> yeah, we were in the lunchroom one day and usually she feeds herself but whenever I'm there at lunch she's like you feed me. <laughs> I don't want to do it today and I'm like all right lady, uh you're 90, it, I can do it. Um and then as this, they're wheeling this woman in in her like chair her Jerry chair, her chair bed, um they're wheeling her in and she made like the littlest moan as we went by and my grandma stopped eating and looked at me and she went I hate her. And I was like, damn, bitch, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Sophia's really cool. <laughs> Wait, they're not in a room together, right? It's not. No, they're, this is a lunchroom. This is like the cafeteria. Wow. And she's like, I hate her. And I'm like, why? Why? Tell me why. And she's like, I just, I don't like her. And she doesn't like me. And I don't like her. And I'm like, this is dementia where she's just making shit up.
0: Well, I mean, we know how your grandma feels about Drew Barrymore, too. Sometimes it's just a vibe.
1: Yeah. yeah, she just she just goes for she, but she is truly not happy unless she can have somebody to hate on, <laughs> and she's chosen this poor bedbound woman to hate on. And I just I can't. It's funny, but it's not funny because <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ! You got to be able to tone this down at some point. Yeah, um, but she's thrilled. They do activities there. They yeah. bring like once or twice a week they bring in a dog to just kind of walk around and they uh-huh. like play bingo and they have like a guy who plays guitar who comes in and they I came in one day and they were watching Thor and like, <laughs> like they just do, they watch movies, they do all kinds of shit and it's great. Like she is truly loving it. She's truly loving it. She's eaten like a, like a horse. She hated everything I ever cooked for her because she's like, this is too healthy. I don't want vegetables. I don't want this. And now she has cake or pie with every meal. Yeah, <laughs> so she's like, "This is great. Like they, this is so much better than idiot." I'm like, "Oh yeah, like the healthy food I tried to give you. Yes, it was this. This is probably better in that way." Yeah. Um, but she also has like a whole team. So she has a like a social worker, and she has a a nutritionist, and you know ev- everything is right there. Like her podiatrist and her eye doctor, and like everyone just comes right to her. Yeah, and so I get constant updates. Um, in a medical sense, I get constant updates. They have someone there who works with dementia patient, patients specifically, and you know she still she still has those moments. Like I was tucking, her, I was hanging out with her at night. Um, sometimes I go at night to tuck her in, and um, she kind of looked off in the corner of the room, and she goes, "What's that bird doing there?" And I was like, "Oh fuck!" And then she looked over. She goes, "There's another one right over there," and I'm like, "I." Wish I could crawl into your brain. Cause like being old and getting dementia is either fr- terrifying or it probably feels like you're high 24-7. But I would love mm. to know. Cause yeah. she was I'm like, Do you want me to get the birds out? And she was like, No, they're fine. But then every once in a while she would look at look at the corner and I'm like, What the hell are you seeing up there? Is this like a fucking fever dream? Is this a Christian Bale Batman scarecrow <laughs> dream? Like, what is happening here? Wow yeah but yeah she's but she's doing better. It's better for her, and that's why I did it like I want i I still see this as an extension of the care that I can give for her, yeah, um, because I found a way for her to be put in a place that was close. you know, we waited it out and filled out all the paperwork and I pay for all the stuff and I'm still caring for her, mm-hmm. but I needed to be able to leave my house like I truly was not able to leave the house for like a year, yeah. And, I can't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore.
0: Yeah, and that's not wrong, by the way. Yeah, like it's not like it, it, you were doing a lot while she was living there, yeah. and it, it was at times like just as a friend of yours, I was concerned about your welfare and about your energy levels, and because it's a, it's a, I mean. You know this now. I mean, it's around the clock. It's a full-time mm-hmm. job to take care of somebody who not only is elderly, but just has memory issues. And yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like this was the best decision for everybody involved. And I mean, you know, when my parent, my grandparents went into nursing home, they It it was so, like, they had a social life. They had friends. It was, like, not this terrible thing that I think that our family had imagined it would be. Right, And it kind of just helps everybody out, and it is the best decision sometimes. And anyway, uh, but no, I think... But what I
1: will say, too, is that it's definitely... It's... It's completely in line with my grandma that I would buy a house spend it in the town that she lives in, spend an entire year renovating it for her to move in. And then she lives here for a few months and bounces. That is 100% Carol's jam where she's like, mm, put yourself out for me, do all this shit. Bye. <laughs> like I have watched her do it my entire fucking life. This is no different. And it is not even a surprise.
0: Look, we all go in thinking one thing, and then it ends up being something else with a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, so many decisions that I've made, I was like, this is happening. And then I get there, and I'm like, it's not happening. It is like, not.
1: <laughs> and I don't regret it. That's the thing. Like, I don't regret an ounce of the past year. It was so hard. And it's like, caretaking is so hard in a way that I cannot even express yeah. properly. Um but I don't regret it. Like, I think I would I would have felt worse about myself if I'd never tried it. And I'm still, again, like, I'm at least still in a position where I can care for her every day. Yeah. But she's getting the best care that she can and the most care that she needs. I think the, the major mindfuck of this for me, which is so... It, again, should not be unexpected, but um, I foolishly put myself out there time and time again thinking I can have a relationship with my family. And it never works. And in this instance, I realized, like, this is something that maybe is naive that I never thought of this or realized this before, but I I don't really like my my immediate family. Like, I don't like or get along with most of them. What really hit home for me this past year and a half of being home, of living here again, is they don't like me either. They don't like me. They don't respect me. They don't love me. They don't give a shit about me at all. Mm. At all. Because I thought for sure that they would at least show up for my grandma. Like, part of the reason she's in this position is that she has spent her whole life taking care of them and their children and their shit. So she didn't have anything for herself when she got older. And not only do they not care about her, but... They don't like me. And I think they were really rooting for me to fail, which is so fucked. Like you're rooting for me to fail in caring for your mother? That's mm. fucked up. So it's kind of it's just kind of weird that like I I always think, "Oh, well, I've come to terms with this part of it," but then there's always another layer because again, I foolishly tried to go back in thinking things have changed, but they have they haven't. So I sent everyone a text saying like, hey, um, grandma is going to be in this nursing home and here's a visitation schedule and you do not have to organize anything through me. And I don't actually want to speak to anybody for a long time because I just am really hurt by your lack of of contact and your lack of involvement. And Mm. my brother who I haven't spoken to in a few, we've been fighting for a couple of months about this. He wrote back immediately and was like, texted back immediately and was like, oh God, I feel so bad. Like, I know I should have done more. If I had done more, maybe she could have stayed at your house. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, if you'd done anything, she might've been able to, to have stayed at my house. If I could go out one day, a, if I could go, if I could go like one day a month <laughs> and just like go outside for a couple of hours, she probably would have stayed here. I probably would not have lost my fucking mind. But you didn't. And so he he was apologetic, but I was still like, this is the same old, same old. Like, he's very manipulative in that way where he's super apologetic after the fact, but doesn't change any of his behaviors. Yeah. So I always capitulate to like, well, he's trying. And then my therapist is always like, well, he's trying. And this time I was like, fuck trying, man. Do it. <laughs> like, do it or don't do it. But I'm not going to put myself up on the the chopping block anymore to be like ripped like ripped apart by my fucking family. Yeah. So it just was hard like a horrible realization but also kind of a, a very illuminating realization that I don't like them and they don't like me either. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. We don't have to like each other.
0: Well, I have to say, I mean, you I have several friends who are in your position who don't have relationships with their family. So, All all different reasons, of course. And you know what? You are a good person at the end of the day. And it's interesting that you have always been kind and helpful to them. And you realizing that you're not getting that back in return, you know, is a hard realization. But you have the better scenario, if you ask me. Because you are a good person, you're incredibly talented, smart, and and you have made your own family. Yeah. With your friends and with the people in your life, um, including me. So it's like, yeah. I just am like, I don't know, at the end of the day, like you got us, you got the people, like you have people in your life that do care about you and and want to help you and want to make you shine. Um. Yeah. So, you know what? Like, if they can't be there right now or ever, you're covered, I feel yeah. like.
1: that. And that's thank you for saying that. And I do feel that in a very big way, which is why I think this time I'm done for good. Like, I'm not going to keep putting energy into people who are just routinely disappointing and cruel when I have this whole other like you said, this family that I've made and these incredibly deep and, and rewarding and wonderful friendships and relationships that I don't have to engage with people on that, on that level. Yeah, And, you know, I'd, I'd rather put my, I'd rather just put my energy into that. And I think it sounds so simplistic, but, you know, that kind of, there is some kind of innate desire to want to connect to your biological family. Like that is okay. That feels like a normal thing to want. Yeah. I just don't, I, it, it's not practical for me anymore. Sure. And so yeah. I think that like every time my my therapist is like, "Well, they're trying and you should try and blah blah blah." And I'm like, "No, no, no, because it's it's I'm just done with it. Like it's no longer about like I just have nothing left to prove and nothing nothing left to give." You know, I yeah. just I don't have anything to prove to them. I don't think it makes me less of a good person um to not be in contact with them. When being in contact with them makes me so roundly miserable. Yeah. It makes me feel like a big piece of shit.
0: Well, you're not a fucking piece of shit at all. I mean, look what you've done. You've completely changed your life to care for your family members. And even if they would never do that for you, I mean, that that is some great karma coming back to you at some point. I mean, I just have to say, because yeah. it's like very selfless. And I know that, you know, you expected her to be at your house probably a lot longer than what actually happened, but still, you're... You spend Thanksgiving with her. You're there for her at every point. You're in the same town. That's a lot, lot easier than it would have been if you were in L.A. still. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You made the right choice, even if it is kind of... You know, I know, like, the new year is always like a it's like a very contemplative time and everyone's kind of reassessing priorities and changing changing things and if this is just something that you've decided for this for this moment in your life maybe it's different further down the line maybe people will grow a conscience later as they get older especially but if not you got us you got um yeah. your friends and the people that have uh cared about you and um and have done it in spite of your biological family not you know what i mean yeah
1: and i think i thank you and i i i agree and i think that it's kind of weird cuz i've i've always been that person who said the same thing like well maybe later they'll be this or maybe later they'll change but i think what's more like psychologically important for me now is that like yeah they might but i'm still not going to be around for it i hope they do in a way that benefits their life but i am just done and I think that that's cool, and it's important, and it's fine for me to just be done. Yeah. And if they do change, or if anything changes for them, may it benefit their their lives. But they don't get to impact mine anymore, or my grandmother. Honestly, like they don't get to disappoint and worry and make her feel sad because she asks constantly, like, "Where's my family?" And I'm like, "I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I don't know." Yeah. Um, my mother has not been to see her once; hasn't seen her in months. I think my brother goes to see her, but I don't talk to him about it. But I don't know how to answer that for her. And I think that it's more painful to have to talk about that with her as well. So I think that, you know, like, just let us let us be. Yeah. And she will have her own relationship with these people if she wants. There's nothing I can do about it and nothing I want to do about it. But I just really feel a weight lifted in that way. Like, my grandmother was not a burden to me, but she... Just needed more than I could give. And yeah. the weight that I feel is, has lifted is that I no longer have to be in contact with my family for her benefit. So, yeah, I feel awesome. But that's why I kind of physically needed to go somewhere. Sure. Um, because I just haven't been able to, I haven't been able to, one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it was nice to be able to just, like, actually go somewhere. But I think because it was the new year, like, I just needed a hard reset. Of yeah. like getting back to who I am. Because I that's the thing that'll be a big part of my year this year in terms of Uber lists and resolutions and stuff is like figuring out who I am. Because the from the minute I got to this town, I've been taking care of my grandma. Yeah. So I don't know who I am in this town outside of being a caretaker for her. So yeah. maybe I'll make a friend or maybe I'll like explore or like I don't know I just kind of feel like I need to add I added some things to my uber list that I needed to add that were very much it sounds very like juvenile but I definitely put some things on there that were like go outside (laughs) or like find a restaurant you like in town (laughs) like I have not had the, the the ability to explore what my actual life is here. So I'm yeah. kind of excited to see see what that looks like.
0: I, I am too. I am um, too. I'll just say that. As your friend and uh, knowing you personally, I just, I want this for you pretty badly. So um, I'm
1: glad it's a new year.
0: New we year. Can... Do you have any,
1: any resolutions? Do you have anything that you're looking forward? I mean, it doesn't have to be as sad and complicated as the journey I just took us on, but... The... <laughs> Do you have any any Uber listing things, any resolutions, anything you just want to focus on?
0: Yeah, you know, I uh, I don't really know, actually. I mean, I kind of, I, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I, you know, I have all these like big ideas, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I like to try to make goals manageable. You know, yeah. <laughs> they they say make goals like, you know, what is that like? acronym about goals where it's like time and specific and and manageable and that kind of stuff. So at first i was like what if i just went vegan or so you know like i just like some huge <laughs> huge life change. And then i was like i got to start smaller than that. And i think like i'll start by not eating fucking cheese and crackers in my bed. Let's just not do that (laughs) for, like, a month, you know? Like, that's, like, the thing where I'm, like, all right, let me just try something smaller for, like, a month. So I might not fucking eat cheese at 2 o'clock in the morning in my bed. Like, what the
1: fuck? Knowing you and me as I do with our array of cheese boards (laughs) sizes... (laughs) I would even say take it a step easier and just try like a meatless Monday. (laughs) Try a meatless Monday first and then get into I won't eat cheese in bed because that's a promise I don't know if I could keep right away.
0: See, that's the thing is that I'm like, I kind of like it too much. Like the other thing that I was like, what if I started, like what if January was like black coffee January? (laughs) Like where I I don't drink, half and half in the coffee for an entire month. And then I was like, I, that, the sound of that, just saying it out loud already makes me fucking miserable. So it's a no. Yeah, it's you're already no. setting
1: yourself up for failure because you are choosing the most extreme shit that you don't actually want to do. Yes.
0: So I, so I'm I'm currently working on making these um, goals a little bit, more manageable less less horrible and less uh binding i guess so we'll see i mean i i I got some ideas kicking around but i'm just excited for a new year i just you know it's it's gonna be a good one i think that last year was was really tough for you and it was extremely busy for me and i I think we both need a fucking reset and a relax and
1: it's gonna be great yeah New Year, New Us, and Mm. to ring it in, like we always do, we've Mm. got a New Year, New Me episode today, but we have a twist. Do you (laughs) want to tell them what the twist is?
0: Oh, sure. So, (laughs) as as you might have guessed, we we have a a theme this week, a recurring theme that we've done now for three years, and it's called... New Year, New Me. But the twist this year is that this is a New Year, New Me episode all about male makeovers.
1: And I cannot wait to dig in. So our thought process behind the male makeover, actually, I shouldn't phrase that as a statement because I don't remember. What was our thought process (laughs) (laughs) behind making it the male makeover?
0: So... Okay, if I recall, the first year of the podcast that we did this, it was all about like new face, who this or something like that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was that, like that was the, the fly and uh, second right? Right, right, right.
0: It was all about like <laughs> body, body trauma, and then last year we did body swap movies yes. where somebody just woke up in a different person's body. And so this year we were like, well, what what could we possibly do? And it's like, you know, we, in movies, there are just so many movies about women makeovers, like mm-hmm. Gigi and, you know, like, I don't know, every Audrey Hepburn movie to have ever been made and like, you know, <laughs> she's all that and all this stuff. Well, and then so like, we were like, well, what about guy, ma- guy makeover movies? I feel like that, you know, Is there a grand tradition? Let's explore Mm -hmm. it. And I think we found two really interesting ones. And I will say right now, first watch on your film this week. (laughs) I can't even wait.
1: Starting the new year off right, because I do plan this year on freaking you out as much as possible (laughs) with my choices.
0: This is a movie that freaked me out in a completely different way. Than you have ever freaked me out. And dare I say it's worse. Dare I say it's worse (laughs) than hereditary and border
1: combined. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Yes, I did it. (laughs) Ah, First episode of the year, I did it.
0: God, you are absolutely like the queen of the mindfuck when it comes to this shit. Like, oh, here's a movie. At first, I actually texted you. I, we should like screen grab and post a text where I was like, I'm sorry, am I watching the wrong movie right now? For some reason, I thought I w- it was a documentary or something I couldn't even really remember. And I was like, am I watching? And then you were like, nope, that's the movie. You are absolutely oh, watching the right movie.
1: That's the one you got. You hit it on all cylinders. And I was like, oh, I cannot wait to talk about this. And once I I got that text, I'm like, this is going to be real. This is going to be good and real. Well,
0: I'm going first this week, which means that we are breezing through my shit to get to your shit. Um,
1: (laughs) Well, we can. But I will say yours is a film that I have seen several times. Yeah. And I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I now hate it. It's a new feeling for me with this movie. I never felt such anger at, a film, at this film before.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to go into it. We'll, we will certainly talk about our feelings. So, yeah, my movie for the theme, New Year, New Me, is a film from 1987. It was written by Michael Swerdlick, directed by Steve Rash. And it's called Can't Buy Me Love.
1: I want to rent you. Rent me? Yeah.
0: You pretend you like me. And we go out for just a few weeks. Just going out with me is not going to make you popular. Well, I have $1,000. It says it will. i want to go ahead and get a one-sentence synopsis of this very 80s, very teen film out of the way. A dorky teenager gets the most popular girl at his high school out of a financial bind and in exchange she is required to go on fake dates with him so that everyone will think he's cool. That's it. That is the movie. And okay. I'm going to I'm going to also get this out there now cuz I have to say it up top or else it it will infest the rest of the episode. So, when I was a kid, there was probably for me not a better representation of the kind of teenager that everybody wanted to be than Cindy Mancini. Okay. Absolutely. She was, she's the female lead of this movie. She's played by Amanda Peterson. Cindy Mancini is like the archetype. She's beautiful, thin, blonde, head cheerleader. She's dating a college guy. She drove the classic. 80s hot girl car which is a white Volkswagen Cabriolet
1: convertible. Yes. And she that ha- car that car alone is trauma inducing. That car full of teeny that car full of popular cheerleader teenagers is like straight up PTSD moment
0: oh, for me. 100%. Like people sitting on the edge of this Ugh. fucking Volkswagen convertible. I mean, it's triggering. But Cindy Mancini was it. She had that car. She had her own phone line. She had a white daybed and a giant
1: sign with the word outrageous hanging over it. That daybed, another trauma point for me. I wanted one so bad.
0: Me, fucking too. My mom and dad were like, "You ain't getting a fucking white day, but you're getting sensible Broyhill furniture that you will have when you get married." And I'm like, "Fuck this!
1: Here's a metal Sears bed. My we had a metal Sears bed frame because my my grandparents were so furious that they had to raise us. They're so like, "We already raised our own children. Now we have to. We got rid of all our kids' furniture. Yeah. Now we have to raise you. You're getting a metal Sears frame piece.
0: Yeah. It's was." white day bed was the dream. Uh, and then if you were even cooler, if you had white wicker furniture.
1: Ugh. I If mean, she had a neon phone, I would have passed away.
0: Yeah, see, I I often recall that Cindy Mancini had a see-through phone. But in fact, I don't think, I think I'm getting that confused with, like, 16 candles or something, but yeah. like, she, she, but she definitely had her own phone line. And, you know, Cindy Mancini, in terms of style, she was like doing the whole thing where she wore like very chic, oversized blazers to school, which I, for some reason, I just didn't think I could pull off. I was like, I feel like I told myself when I was very young if I wore oversized blazers to school, I would look like a 45 year old woman,
1: actually. <laughs> You look like a sub.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, like, a beautiful, thin, like, blonde chick wears one It's super chic. And I'm like, no, I just look like someone's mom. Um, (laughs) So, as you can tell, I was the exact opposite of everything Sidney Mancini. And honestly, like, I'm no different than Ronald Miller, who is essentially the star of this film, Can't Buy Me Love. And he's played by Patrick Dempsey. And... I'm going to tell you right now, I've never seen one episode of Grey's Anatomy.
1: Ever. Well, I will tell you that if you have not seen, have you, okay, you haven't seen an episode of Grey's Anatomy, but in this movie, we are getting his original nose.
0: Yes. Okay. So have you
1: seen him? Even if you haven't seen an episode, like, have you seen photos of him?
0: Oh, yes. Because I have seen Sweet Home Alabama about 45 times. So I know. Like, and I get the McDreamy thing. I definitely know he was nicknamed McDreamy. And it's so funny because there's a lot of conversation that came out after the Grey's Anatomy thing happened, where people would look at this movie and go, like, oh my God, I can't believe this geek grew up to be big dreamy. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, Ronald Miller as a character was like, honestly, even with the original nose, it was like a Hollywood version of what they thought a geek was. Exactly. Right? Because Okay, yes, Ronald Miller wore fucking berets and he liked science and he had a poker night with his geek friends and he did little dorky dances anytime he got excited about something. But listen, Ronald Miller was not ugly or fat, okay? He had really nice toned arms, actually. Mm -hmm. And he had nice eyes and he had great hair. So in my mind, I'm like, that's not a geek. That's- that's Timothy Chalamet, if you ask
1: me. Period. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> I want to ring to it. That is just you saying, that's Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> it is, because it's like,
0: look at him. Like if I, everything I just described, him. like, oh, that's like a current heartthrob that is wearing. Yes. He's like a fashion designer's muse. That's Ronald Miller, basically, in this film. But in this film, he's a fucking loser. And I'm like, okay. So, the setup of the movie is like this. So, Ronald is a dork at this high school in Arizona, and he mows the lawns of, like, all the popular kids at his school. And... There's a beautiful, luminous head cheerleader named Cindy Mancini. Like I said, and like most dorks, Ronald lusts after her from afar until one day Cindy goes to a party, and she's wearing her divorced mom's suede fringe skirt set, and And it is a
1: hit. It is a
0: fucking hit at this party. It is such a fucking hit that she has to lie. And tell her friends that her college boyfriend bought it for her or something. Like it's not her mom's. Okay. And of course, as as happens, some idiot jock at the party spills shit all over it. And Cindy is flipping the fuck out. She actually tries to go to the store that her mom bought it at to return it, and the manager's like, "Uh, are you fucking crazy? Just buy a new one. It only costs a thousand dollars."
1: Now, also the wine—it was supposed to be a wine stain. First of all, who's drinking wine at one of these parties? What kind of fucking football bro is drinking wine at these parties? And also, when, he, when she stands back and it's like, "Oh my god, my outfit—it looks like a bl- like a deep red blood spl- splatter. Like it's not even like a like a faint pink." It's like a deep red, like, pita through paint on her stain. <laughs> she was an Occupy Wall Street in that <laughs> outfit.
0: Now, speaking of this outfit, now, I don't care if it came from Wilson's The Leather Experts <laughs> or whatever and not some, like, shitty divorced mom's clothing boutique in the mall or whatever, but this should not, this, this, suit set should not be a thousand dollars in the 1980s like i mean even even in the 80s that's too much to pay for this fucking weird outfit and i don't know maybe cindy's mom was coked up when she bought it who knows but like it's so prohibitively expensive (laughs) that i'm like why would anybody buy this outfit for a thousand dollars
1: a thousand even adjusting for inflation it's like $75,000. $75,000. No, it's not. I don't know what the actual, but like it's some astronomical number for a miniskirt fringed leather, like a jacket and a miniskirt, <laughs> a shoulder pad infused white suede. Everyone on the eighties was on Coke. I You cannot convince me otherwise. Oh God. It's not even that cute at all, but it's,
0: it's very expensive. So Listen, Cindy is bugging out because she's like, I don't have $1,000 to rebuy this outfit that I ruined at this party. But thankfully, Ronald just happens to see the entire interaction go down, and then he offers to pay for the outfit for Cindy.
1: But With the money that he earned mowing her lawn and all the neighborhood lawns all summer long.
0: Right, right. So it's like this hard-earned money that he is now wanting to give to his crush now in exchange though she has to pretend to like him for a month in front of people at their high school
1: which is such a weird (laughs) he came up with that lightning quick like he runs into the store they cut to him and he's like i'll give you this money but you gotta pretend to like me and he had like the whole list of shit like you have to have lunch with me you have to do this and i'm like how long have you been thinking about this ronald you fucking maniac!" (laughs)
0: Yeah, this is some very save by the bell ass fucking plot twist things going on in this movie because it's like I don't know, like this just it seems very flimsy. And then I, but this is a, like a a typical trope, right? Of 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 80s teen stuff is is people buying popularity from the the rich kids cuz I don't know. I'm just like how, how does this exist outside of this decade? Because I, I guess the 80s were all about capitalism, and we loved those popular kids in their fancy-ass clothes. So he, he, he sets up this deal, and she's reluctant at first, but then agrees to eventually be purchased by a kid from her high school.
1: Okay. For her skill set of just being popular.
0: <laughs> yes. And and so it's like the next day, they meet at school, and she's immediately like, oh, fuck, what have I done? This guy is fucking disgusting. Even though he's not, he's a Timothy Chalamet prototype, as we just <laughs> outlined. But I guess in order to be around him for like five fucking minutes, she takes him around the back of the school, puts some moose in his hair
1: moose lord lord
0: he she rips the sleeves off of his button-up shirt and then takes his glasses off and voila instant geek to chic
1: apparently i mean this is something i need to discuss in your movie and my movie is when you're doing a makeover movie usually a makeover movie that has a woman at the center or a girl at the center of it it's like one of those cartoons where somebody sits down in the dentist chair and then like Bugs Bunny stands in front of him and you just see like sparks and tools and smoke and fire and everything (laughs) coming out. Like a makeover movie that has a female at the center of it is usually like, oh, we got to do a complete overhaul. We got to fucking give this motherfucker some plastic surgery. We got to fix these teeth. We got to fix these eyes. We got to pluck this and shave that. For men, it's like, I'm going to rip the sleeves off your shirt and brush your hair.
0: Yes, it's the laziest makeover ever. And I literally cannot believe that he got as much mileage out of this (laughs) as he did in this movie. Because you're right, in every female makeover movie, it's like, she's got to take speech lessons, put a book on top of her head, and make her walk across a fucking room. Like, she's got to change her entire way of being. And meanwhile, all a guy has to do is just fucking go and get a different shirt. It's so annoying. (laughs)
1: shirtless and and pop that collar and you're done. Yeah. Or like sleeveless. Sleeveless and pop the collar and you're done.
0: Take off those glasses. You're just a completely different person now, Ronald. And so, so now he's got this hot look, apparently, and he's hanging with Cindy. People are noticing him, finally. And even Cindy, gotta say, she kind of starts hanging out with him more and more and she's noticing, hey, he's kind of sweet and he's kind of funny. And, He reads my poetry, which Cindy is very embarrassed of, because guess what? If you wrote poetry in an 80s teen movie, you were a big fucking loser. End of discussion.
1: Secret nerd territory.
0: Poetry? What are you, nuts? What are you, some weirdo?
1: This is something that... I bump against to this day, to the point where I'm eventually going to have to write an essay, even if it's just for myself, even if I never publish it. I cannot handle when people try to force feed us this narrative that traditionally beautiful people are also thoughtful, sensitive artists. (laughs) That is not as common as our culture would have you believe. And I'm not saying it never happens. I'm saying it happens about as often as you will see a blue lobster, which is maybe once in a fucking lifetime.
0: Look, look, you don't have to go further back than Hubble from the way we were. It's like, talk about a fucking hot jock that can't write for shit. Like...
1: And it it's because one experience impacts the other. If you grew up traditionally hot or beautiful, you have had a fundamentally different experience than someone else who has had to struggle a little bit more in that area. I'm just saying that that it impacts your worldview in a way that will make me never believe you have anything interesting to say in an artistic sense.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, somebody who was 14 and was afraid to wear a a blazer because it made her look like she was a middle-aged woman needs art and poetry desperately to get through life. (laughs) (laughs) Sydney <laughs> Mancini does
1: not <laughs> also never forget that at this point when you were in thinking about your oversized blazer you were also writing poetry in the dark with a feather pen <laughs> at a cafe <laughs> that's what a poet is not like mm, I've got three pieces of loose leaf paper from four years ago when I had to write a poem for English class yeah <laughs> Like, you are not about that life until you are in the dark in a cafe in Atlanta with a feather pen. Exactly. Or you're blasting jazz out of a window (laughs) in New York. (laughs) If you're not blasting Charles Mingus out of a speaker pointed outwards and freaking out your whole fucking neighborhood to try to get the attention of a guy, you're not about that life. You do not have an angel notebook for your fucking weird poems. I don't want to hear it. Cindy <laughs> exactly.
0: and, and that's that's the thing about Ronald is that he actually like legit supports her efforts to be a poet. And of course, she's like, you're the only dude that has ever cared. So she's like, she's surprisingly smitten with this arrangement suddenly. And here's the thing about Cindy's friends they start hanging out with Ronald too because they see, oh, he's cool now. He hangs out with Cindy Mancini. And t- including her two best girlfriends who are supposed to be in high school, but they look and dress and act like adult women who are hanging out on the sunset strip with like <laughs> Dawkins and Wasp or some shit, right? Like <laughs>
1: <I'm talking. laughs> They the, they the look- headband and the full face glitter says it all.
0: They look like, do you remember in Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Middle Years, that contest of like yes. the hot ladies that would like get on the stage and like be the hottest lady? Those are like two women who would enter that contest. Her
1: high school friends. And their names were Pat and Barb. If that is not the name of a middle-aged fucking friend hanging out in front of the seven veils, I don't know what is.
0: <laughs> oh my God. And like, The the other thing, this is even more outrageous, is one of Cindy's friends is this muscle jock who is played by Gerardo
1: of Rico Suave fame. (laughs) This This is an embarrassing admission that I may have admitted before, if I have, forgive me, but when Gerardo first dropped, I did not know that he was one person with extensions. I thought he was two people. Because in what part of the video he has very long hair, and part of the video has very short hair, like he does in this movie, and I'm like, Gerardo is two people. How cool?
0: <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because I know this because I I watched so much MTV. It's like unspeakable as a child. So in the original Rico Suave, that's all in Spanish. It, like yeah. he has short hair, but then they made a Spanglish version, I guess, where he sang half of the song in Spanish and half in English and he had a totally different look. So you're right. You could have easily been like,
1: why are these two different guys singing the same song? Absolutely thought it was two different people for way longer than I care to admit. <laughs> and forgot that Gerardo was in this movie. Oh, yeah. And listen, there's a scene
0: where Cindy's friends are learning how to cook in their home ec class, and Gerardo is wearing an apron with no shirt on underneath.
1: (sighs) He's either... My man is either no shirt or crop top. Yeah. He's like, you will see these fucking abs if it's the last thing I do. Uh, Listen, I know that they went to high school in Tucson
0: where it's like 112 degrees on the rigs, but are you you have to wear
1: a shirt to high school, right? Like that's that's against the rules if you don't, right? I think those rules came into place in the 80s because of shit like this. <laughs> where they're like, sir, you have to wear a shirt. Where, well, show me the rule on the books. Shit, we got to make a rule so this motherfucker will put a shirt on. In a home ec where there's hot oil and pan, like they're cooking. They're oh, actively yeah. cooking. It's Meanwhile, it's so- that blonde guy who's like the consummate teenager, even though he's been 50 years old since he started acting. <laughs> Eric Bruce Goddard, I want to say. Yeah, plays yeah Big yeah. John. He's hilarious. But he's like fucking eating raw pancake mix and like, it is. this home ec class is a nightmare. It's a mess. It's a Total fucking mess. And listen, there's a lot
0: of other great cameos in this movie, too. Like, Amy Dolans, who's one of Cindy's Mm -hmm. friends. Max Perlitch, one of Ronald's geeky buddies. And Seth Green, who, young Seth Green, who plays Ronald's sneaky little brother. And I swear to God, there's this, like, running joke in the movie where that big John guy, the (laughs) pancake batter-eating jock, is at a party and he farts out of the window and it's right in <laughs> Seth Green's face as he's like spying in the bushes. And the fart is so potent that he falls over. And I swear to God, as a kid, I rewound that shit like 50 times in a row.
1: Guess what? Did it as an adult too. I just watched it though. It was my favorite part of this movie. It happened twice and I lost it both times. Seth Green <laughs> is getting crop
0: dusted. In this movie, like, no one's business. It's so funny to me. (laughs) That is his primary role. Oh, God. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, okay, Cindy's really into Ronald now. But Ronald fucks it up, of course, by reminding her, hey, it's just an arrangement, and per the terms of this arrangement, I have to break up with you in front of the entire school. And, of course, because he's a nerd, he takes it too fucking far, and it basically humiliates her, and she runs off. So, at the same time... Ronald, who is sleeveless with no glasses and now wears bolo ties all the time. I don't know what happened there. He just suddenly figured out how to wear bolo ties. He's suddenly now this party guy and everybody wants to fucking hang with him, despite the fact that this entire makeover was created in the bushes. Yeah. In their in front of their school in like two fucking seconds. So now
1: his the, plan worked though. His plan worked and yes. without the influence of Cindy and here's where we where we realize that her Bush's makeover was actually <laughs> crucial because on his own he's disgusting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's, like, the Sunset Strip girls are now fighting to date him, which is insane. And, you know, Cindy's kind of being like, hey, remember me? Like, but now he's suddenly too cool to hang with her. Like, she fucking created a monster in that two seconds, right? In the bushes. And so what ends up happening is that... There's a New Year's Eve party. Cindy gets wasted. She finally reveals to everybody that Ronald actually paid her to go out with him. And poof, he's a geek again. And he's back to square one. I mean, I will not give away the ending, but you definitely know the ending. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, like I said, Ronald's little brother keeps getting carpet bombed by these fucking jock farts. And... Everyone lives happily ever after, I guess.
1: I don't know. He's ignored his best friends for months.
0: Yeah. Like, he's it,
1: just totally turned into a fucking monster.
0: Yeah. But it's like, but somehow it works out for him. I mean, I'm not giving it away, but I'm giving it away. You Come on. Do I really well, need also, to, like...
1: This is something that 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 I think when I was saying earlier that I didn't like this movie anymore, even though I've seen it countless times, is... One thing that is crystal clear in this film, and several others, but his makeover did not remove his ability to be a complete misogynist. Oh, sure. Like, of course. Yes, he got a, a physical makeover, but he treats women, and the way he talked about women and treated women, I was like, this is fucking disgusting.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, we see this now so often. He's He's basically like a tech bro, some guy that, like, you know got rich and famous, clean himself up, but he just can't, he can't, like, clean himself up enough to be a fucking
1: decent person. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I hate you, Ronald. Yes. You don't deserve any chances. I hate you.
0: Yeah. And, there, fucking, and, and it's actually shocking t- because there's this moment where one of the Sunset Strip girls has him in, like, a car and she does this whole, like, seduction thing where she's like, reach out and touch somebody, like, that fucking real 80s shit. And... He's just like, he just devolves into this fucking, like, man baby. He's just like boobs, you know? And so it's like, at the same time, I'm like, well, no, he's just a fucking, he's just a fucking guy, right? He's yeah, he's There's not no makeover evolved, to take
1: that.
0: Right. He's just simply purchased popularity, and he's not learning any lessons at all. So
1: that New Year's Eve party scene, though, is fantastic. And it has one of my absolute favorite moments from this film, which is after he, at the beginning of the party, he like shows up with this date and Iris, I think her name is, and, and they bone in the bathroom and she's like all over him. And then here comes Cindy Mancini and she's like, You're all a bunch of suckers. Like he said that they would make him popular and it did because you're a bunch of lemmings. Peace. And then he goes back to his date. And she just covers the side of her face and says, I don't know you, and keeps walking. And I was like, you literally just fucked him in the bathroom. That is a baller move to be like, I don't know you.
0: (laughs) On a a toilet, for God's sake. (laughs) Which is, I don't think I've ever wanted to have sex that bad, by the way. I'm never going to bone on a toilet. Sorry, fellas, it ain't happening. That's just too... Gross. Like, that's too... I'm just saying. Not not good.
1: I'm gonna try it at some point. (laughs) 2023, 2023, baby! 2023, I don't know you. (laughs) We just fucked. No, we didn't. Bye!
0: (laughs) (laughs) On the John. On the fucking John. Well, On the John. Listen, I'm with you. Like, this movie kind of barely holds up not really i mean it's like you know to me for the theme it's perfect right because yes. it's like it's a very it's a male makeover despite the fact that it's very lazy but i think also just proves our point about male makeover movies which is that like it doesn't take much to make them completely lovable and hot and <laughs> in the gender reverse it's like a whole fucking bag of chips right so
1: exactly i i It fits this theme perfectly. I'm so glad you picked it. I will give it 10 more years before society comes for this film. (laughs) 10 more years where people are like, wait, I can't believe this shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think people even now are like, wait a minute, a man bought a lady? That's fucked up, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) When a man buys a lady.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit. Well, I think that only leaves one thing to do for this episode.
1: Oh, fuck. (laughs) Talk about your fucking movie. We gotta, we gotta. Oh my God. My movie is kind of a, a recent one. It was released in 2011. And we know that Millie was in a fugue state from 1992 <laughs> until 2020, 2020, maybe 2021. So she did not see this. Released in 2011. The screenplay is by Dan Fogelman. It was directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Rickwa. It's Crazy Stupid Love. You're sitting there with a the supercut haircut and you're wearing a 44 and you should be wearing a 42 regular. I tried to do a one-sentence synopsis for this movie, and here's what I came up with. And tell me, tell me if this is okay, because I think it fits the bill. Okay. A man learns that his wife wants a divorce and all hell breaks loose. Perfecto. What a kid makes this movie is so much. There is so much going on in this movie. There are love triangles, love quadrangles. There's a 13-year-old creep who's absolutely gonna turn out to be a serial killer. Oh You've my got- god. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone doing the move from Dirty Dancing, and a male makeover. But this Oof. movie is a lot. It's a lot. So, <gasps> so right off the bat, it stars Steve Carell, Julian Moore, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, and a host of other people. Kevin Bacon makes an appearance. But this is the central tenet of this movie: is Steve Carell finds out Cal is his character name finds out that his wife. Emily wants a divorce and all hell breaks absolutely loose in his life.
0: Okay. So this was, this movie came out after 40 year old version. Yep. Right. So Steve Carell was kind of prime for this character. This like, I mean, he calls himself a cuck. So I'm just going to call him a cuck. <laughs> he, he's a cuck in this movie. Uh, and, um, you know, so he's kind of in that mode already where he's like, he didn't have to change out of his fucking dorky New Balance sneakers. He's he's basically that guy. He's at the beginning of this film, right? He's just this married schlub and yep. beautiful Julianne Moore's like, I've, ha- I've had it with him. He's His shoes are too gross. Like, what?
1: <sighs> he's wearing those New Balance 407s and I can't look at them anymore. And that is kind <laughs> of what it's like. It's like, she's like, we got married very young and... I kind of accidentally slept with someone in my office who happens to be Kevin Bacon. And I just, she thinks she's having a midlife crisis. And she has this really kind of funny scene where she's like, what does a midlife crisis even look like for women? I don't know. But that's kind of the premise. And he moves out and gets an apartment and they have these two little kids or two school-age kids, I'll say. One of them is in love, Robbie is in love with their babysitter, And is going way too hard trying to get this 17-year-old girl to love him. Way too hard. Does not take no for an answer. And I think it's supposed to be cute, but it absolutely is terrifying. Okay, so
0: here's another movie that came to mind when this shit popped off, which was bone-chilling, to say the least. Because his character is introduced masturbating basically let's yeah. get serious which which and hit that whole scene is disturbing enough but then what he says to the babysitter immediately after because she busts him basically in the in the act of him underneath his sheets and then he just says oh well at least I was thinking about you and I always think about you and I always think about you when I'm I'm like Mm-mm. oh my god like are, is this actually happening right now like this is so fucked up
1: It is so fucked. That kid comes into the movie on a fucked up trajectory. Yes. And and it it is disturbing. His character is disturbing. And there's a
0: part of me that was like, look, I'm doing Italian hands because this is so, I'm like, (laughs) this is so, (laughs) I have so much to fucking say. Like, part of me was like, Is this, is he trying, are they trying to set this up like he's the kid from Love Actually or something? You know how like that little kid in Love Actually is like, I am obsessed with this girl in my school and I'm like, is this, this character, is this guy is trying to be the precocious, cute Love Actually boy, except he's totally missing the mark.
1: Like He's unhinged. And if they tried, (laughs) they failed because at least in Love Actually, that was an age appropriate love (laughs) situation. Yes, He was in love with a kid his own age. Whereas this freak comes out the gate like, I'm jerking it to you upstairs while you're babysitting for me. And I do it all the time.
0: And this girl, this babysitter is supposed to be 17 years old. Okay. She looks like she's in her mid-20s, though. I don't know why they're acting like this woman is... 17 which makes this whole scenario with this
1: little kid even creepier completely and again like it's supposed to be cute it is not cute we need to stop having little kids be in love with adults in any stretch of the imagination it is not cute it is always disturbing to me oh my god it's (laughs) so fucking creepy and he is just a straight creep but i will say There are, like, 18 storylines in this movie. And part of the reason I picked it is because of the storyline with Steve Carell as Cal. So Cal and Jacob, who is the Ryan Gosling character, Cal goes to this bar after he finds out he's getting divorced, and he's just sitting at this bar, total sad sack, telling everyone with an earshot, my wife is leaving me, she had an affair, can you believe it? Like, just for days, just sitting at this bar and just, like, telling his sob story... And Jacob finally comes up to him and is like, I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Like, I can either, like, euthanize you or help you. I'm going to help you. And Ryan Gosling, the reason I picked this movie is because I think Ryan Gosling is so funny as this character. Because he's kind of poking fun at, I think, what people think he was like. Before he has like married with kids and stuff, like he's definitely a handsome guy in the cut suit, like he can pull that off, but he's a total dork, like he's very funny and weird. And I feel like this role did double duty of like, yes, he's that guy, but he's also this other guy. And the reason he even says that he's gonna help Cal is because he's like, maybe you remind me of someone. So there's a hint, it doesn't, it is not explored in this film at all. There's a hint that he has had. A male makeover of his own, or that he has reinvented himself, and at some point in his life, this character has.
0: Ryan Gosling as an as a hunk, he's not he's not for me. Um, yes. I, I don't. But in terms of this character, like him embodying this character, I was just like, he's too attractive, and therefore he cannot also be funny and geeky. Like I just am like. It goes back to the poetry writing, Cindy Mancini.
1: It goes back to the poetry. But yet, uh, here, I, here I go, contradicting myself immediately. Because I do think that as an actor, my favorite Ryan Gosling roles are the ones where he's funny. Like nice, like the, the nice guys. Sure. He's hilarious in that movie. Sure. And he's not trying to be like a buff, cool. Like He's just funny. Yes. But like because he's also attractive, you're like,
0: ooh. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it was very, this was very hard for me watching this film because I'm like, I get what he's trying to do. I get why, why he becomes this foil for Cal, right? Because right. it's like Cal is a fucking sad sack and he needs this like hot young guy to teach him how to be a man basically, right? And that's, the, the this is the male makeover. This is why we picked it for the theme. But I was also like, what do I think about this Ryan Gosling character? Because at some point right. he doesn't he doesn't become the foil anymore. He's like a fully fleshed out character with different feelings and like a little right. character turn. So I'm just like, wow, now I have to see him as like a full person. And That's
1: the trick of the movie. Yes. And that's why I chose it cuz I'm like, oh my god, there's two male makeovers. Cuz Jacob also has a makeover. And his makeover is that he gets more in touch with who he actually is without this artifice of the pickup lines and the negging and the fucking suits and the fucking shit. Like, he has his own makeover.
0: Yes. He has a share from Clueless makeover of the soul. Right? (laughs) Makeover
1: of the soul. (laughs) He does. He does. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting, too, because Cal... He's not just giving him a physical makeover, even though I will say the shopping scene is very funny. I, I do laugh when I see the shopping scene.
0: Yeah, film. I was like, oh, the old Century City Mall, been there a million oh, times. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. It just cracks me up. But I think that what's very interesting to me about this film is they push it a little bit further than most male makeovers are willing to go. So a lot of male, male makeovers stop at the physical. But in this film... Jacob is trying to teach Cal how to be, like, a modern ladies' man. And he is completely resistant to the idea. Like, he does not want to do it. He can't do it. He loves his wife. He wants to be back with his wife. But then he slips into being this kind of ladies' man. And it does not go well for him, I will say. But he learns how to do it in a way that they're trying to talk about how, or I think, my perception of this film is like, kind of looking at the ways that these two things go hand in hand. Like, this bar that I would never go into with these guys that I would never talk to, like, it goes hand in hand with the clothes they wear and the things that they do. And so kind of trying to teach Cal how to... And really, the only thing wrong with Cal in this movie is he's wearing clothes that don't fit. Like, he just needs to wear clothes that fit. Yeah. That's kind of it.
0: Well, and like, okay, so there's so many different things. I'm going through my mind when I'm watching all these scenes because I was like, the first thing was that I started thinking about my dad,
1: <laughs> the transitional shoe lord. Well, and like, and
0: in the event that what if, like, like for example, if my if my parents got divorced, and then my dad started hanging out with a guy like Jacob, mm. what would that be like for me? And I would join a convent, like I would move to Switzerland. <laughs> And be, be like gross. Deborah Carr from Black Narcissus. I just would be like, I'm living in solitude. I don't want to know anybody th- from my former life because my dad is now palling around with this guy who, you know, is like a fucking ladies' man at this terrible bar. Like, he's like, he yeah. goes to the same bar every night. Awful. And it's not even like chairs or something. It's like this <laughs> shitty. It's like the the W Hotel bar in Hollywood. It's like some cornball, an uninviting place.
1: Oh god, I'm just imagining like if my if if your mom and dad got divorced, and your dad turns into this dude. Yeah, that is a wreck, that is a reckoning. That is uh. a gross reckoning. But that's where the movie goes for me. It's like it goes to this place where he realizes, like, this is not me. It's gross. I don't want to be this dude. So he kind of goes down the the Ronald Miller road a little bit where you're like, oh shit, you made a monster. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jacob's having his own makeover and turning into a kinder, nicer person who's in love. Yeah. And allowing himself to feel love and give love. And then Cal's like, wait, I'm a disgusting monster that I don't recognize myself anymore. I can definitely buy better shoes, but I don't have to be this dude.
0: Well, and on top of that, so you've got this Emma Stone character, right? And she's like, it's funny because at the beginning of the movie, Jacob actually hits on her. Um, And she's like out with her friend. I guess she's like, as- aspiring lawyer she's in law school or something and she's out with like one of her law school friends and he like hits on her at the bar and she's just like god this fucking cornball and leaves right but then later on in the film they get back together and she's kind of the person that like that melts away
1: this facade because she's not buying it
0: <laughs> yeah but and, and actually you know I think I think that Emma Stone is probably my favorite character in this film. I think she's super cute and charming, and like she's this is like pre La 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 Land. So maybe maybe in a um, in a weird uh, universe, those these two movies would be related somehow. (laughs) Like the La La Land couple actually met at the W Hotel bar,
1: and then they had this fever dream of this movie before they had the fever dream of La La Land. It can happen. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. I just I think that there there is something likable about this version of the male makeover because even though there, I'm trying to be succinct here and it's not going to work, but I'm going to try. Even though this is a male makeover that is intent on having one monster teach someone else how to be a monster, there is something interesting about the lengths that this makeover goes in a life-ruining and life-affirming way for each of them.
0: The thing that's, that makes your movie different than my movie is that there seems to be some, like, inward exploration of things, right? Because ultimately, yes. this Cal character, he he has internalized that the reason why his wife has cheated on him is because he... Is a schlub. Like he wears too big of clothing, and he's just a dud, and he just kind of rolls over, and he's just not passionate or interesting,
1: right? Yeah, he stopped being interested in life in general,
0: and that is definitely not what's happening in "Can't Buy Me Love." I mean, it's like this fucking kid is just like, I just want to be popular at any cost. I don't give a fuck about anything.
1: I, I mean, will shit, put shit on my best friend's house. I don't care.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's He will sell out his lifelong friends in order to get, to get this popularity that he wants. But at least Steve Carell is kind of like, he's actually depressed as fuck. <laughs> and he's trying to be like, how do I get my wife back? Maybe if I turn into a different man, then I'll have the confidence to maybe like win her back or like at least be in a better headspace than what I'm in now, which is that I'm depressed that my wife left me and cheated on me, right? right. Um, but it's that thing where, yeah, I mean they're kind of ex- they're kind of exchanging lives because it's like Cal becomes a little bit of a stud, and then Jacob becomes a little bit more of like a love bug, which is you know, in, which is also like here's the Jacob character also learning about his self, and there's that whole scene which I have to say. Part of why I like Emma Stone is because she seems very natural she seems kind of like a girl yeah. that you would know which of course is like one of her better qualities as an actress but like they're kind of in bed together like just hanging out because she's supposed to have gone to his house for a one-night stand and they end up just talking all night and then he has this moment where he kind of he asks her he asks her ask me something personal about myself mm-hmm did I say that right? Ask me something yeah. personal. about Yeah. yeah. Um, he asked her, ask me something personal because I want to talk about myself. And there's this moment where you're like, oh, maybe people never ask him about himself.
1: Yeah. You know? Because he's the hot guy.
0: Yeah. Not that and I... So- I don't feel sorry for hot guys now, but I'm just saying in that moment for that character, you do feel like, oh, shit, yeah. I mean, I guess this is what you sign up for when you're just like a dude that plows through women and doesn't, you know, doesn't form bonds and relationships. Like, you just, no one gives a fuck about you, dude.
1: Right. And yeah, and I think that scene scene is very tender and very cute. Um, And I like that too. And I think that, my I guess what I really want to say about this movie, that that the reason I picked it, what's interesting to me about it also, is that it's a middle-aged man getting a makeover. Yes. So it's not a high school guy or a younger guy who's, like, doing it so that he can get the chick. Like, this is a middle-aged man going through a fucking crisis that is foisted upon him and tries to use the makeover as a way to cure his depression, and it doesn't work that way. And he figures that out (laughs) eventually. But he can't use... Like, for a while, he's using the distraction of the makeover to a- avoid his feelings, but that does not work for very long. And I yeah. like seeing that kind of aspect of the makeover. The well, male makeover.
0: Yeah, and you know what ends up being so crazy about the film is that, like, it's kind of in a love-actually kind of way where everyone's related to each other.
1: Don't give it away! Oh. For, well, I mean, there's probably nobody who hasn't seen it yet, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, these... these Everyone ends up being somewhat connected. Connected is what I meant.
0: Okay, not giving it away. How? Why would I give a spoiler for Crazy Stupid Love from <laughs> 2011? <laughs> I would never do that. Oh my
1: god. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what else to say about this movie.
0: Listen, the one thing that I will say that was another disturbing part of the film, is the Marissa Tomei character. Yeah. Where she goes zero to 100 real quick when it comes to Cal. Because basically, she meets Cal, her character meets Cal one night at the bar. He has already transitioned to the ladies' man. And he's sort of like hanging out with her and they go home together and then... At a certain point, she meets back up with him, and he has not called her because she's a one night stand, right? And he's that kind of guy now. He doesn't he doesn't care about women. He just plows through them without any feelings. And she goes apeshit in a very severe kind of way. That I was like, huh. Would this happen? I don't know. I I don't know. It seems a little extreme
1: her reaction. I don't think so. I think I think it this is a good point to remember that this film was written by a man. Yes. Especially during that scene and in her whole character development. I'm like, this was written by a man. I was like, damn,
0: she fucking justice for Marissa Tomei's character in this movie. Cause I was like, she just got played. Like she was basically like. I'm a crazy lady who can't have a one night stand. And like, and I just was like, wow. Like,
1: yeah. (laughs) It's
0: kind of mean, kind of dirty.
1: They did her dirty. And again, written by a dude, written by a dude.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, there's a lot of who is the guy who, oh my God, he plays a serial killer in pretty much every movie I've ever seen, except for this one.
1: Oh, John Carroll Lynch.
0: Yes. <laughs> he was in Zodiac, right? He was—that's like yeah. the guy from Zodiac. Maybe that's why I think that.
1: Uh, John Carroll Lynch playing a middle-aged dad, when usually he's just a stone-cold killer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was actually really happy to see him be funny because I guess I just hadn't seen him. Uh, you know, personally, I don't—I think I hadn't seen enough movies of his where I thought. Oh, he could be funny too. It was great. And then I have to say Josh Groban.
1: <laughs> There's something about him that I just fundamentally do not like based on nothing, based on absolutely nothing. <laughs> I do not find him funny or charming. He has a great voice and I I do not understand this foray into comedic acting.
0: Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it.
1: I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs>
0: Well, listen, I I personally I'm going to say this again. You make me watch movies I would never watch. <laughs> and I there's a there is a benefit and a awesomeness to that. Like you just challenge the fuck out of me. I would have never seen this movie. Like honestly, like I thought it was something else. Like I don't know what I thought it was. I thought I was like, is this a Channing Tatum romance <laughs> or a documentary? I couldn't I couldn't figure like when you said the title when we were coming up with the this theme I was like, what movie is that? I think that's a documentary. And no, it wasn't at all. No. It is not, if it is a documentary,
1: we're fucking doomed. <laughs> but no, it is not a documentary at all and I'm sorry I made you watch it. But- <laughs>
0: it's perfect for the theme like it's absolutely perfect for the theme because and it's got levels for the theme it does have levels i just i guess i just was like this was such an unexpected pick i had never seen it 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 it, it was like a very um broad rom-com there were parts of it that were very broad you know humor, but there's a lot of like product placement. It's like yeah. the, the one part where fucking um John Carol Lynch comes to the bar and is like, hi, I was just shopping at Macy's. <laughs> <It's> so obvious. <laughs> I was like, this is like Mac and me levels fucking brand placement here. What the
1: this fuck? McDonald's commercial in the middle of the movie.
0: was just shopping at Macy's. Here's my Macy's bag on the bar. <laughs>
1: face face out. Face it out. want <laughs> to see the logo. Oh, good. But,
0: but it is like, it was like, there were moments, and obviously I think a lot of it had to do with just the people in the film, because they're good actors. Steve Carell's a great actor. like yeah. And, you know, he brought a little bit more to this character than I... I probably would have expected this character to be. Like, this character could have easily just been Will Ferrell. Could have just been a complete fucking, you know, a farce type of thing. But he has, he's got some fucking chaps, that Steve Carell.
1: He brought, and he this is pre his Silver Fox era too, so. Yeah. Post 40-year-old virgin, pre, like we didn't know he had it in him to look like that hot.
0: Yeah. And I mean he wasn't even like when when he came out from behind the curtain in his new look. He still he didn't, looked his age. He didn't he wasn't yeah. wearing the like, you know, shark skin fucking young guy suits. Like he looked age appropriate. I appreciated that.
1: And he wasn't in head to toe Ed Hardy. No. <laughs> which is often the other way that guys his age go.
0: You're, you're
1: absolutely
0: right. You're absolutely right.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry I made you watch it. But it fits the theme. It absolutely does. I mean... I I feel like where we can go, like, the male makeover movie is just rife with disappointment. It's just set up for disappointment.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, my movie is basically trash. (laughs) And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know what it says about gender roles that, like... (laughs) male makeovers are just so fucking easily done. And they're just so lackadaisical. And it it doesn't take much to make a guy attractive to women, I guess. That's the message in both these films in a weird way. And I'm just sort of like, that's a little sad to me.
1: (laughs) And, you know, just the overall message of straight people are not okay.
0: (laughs) So certainly not okay especially in my film for god's sake young straight people what what is wrong with
1: you (laughs) young young straights especially straights are not okay
0: (laughs) well i i hope everybody has a really good year i mean it's it's the first episode of the new year for us we're very excited to be back to i'm excited daniel to be sitting with you again this year talking movies High and low, uh, short and long. <laughs> make make over and make under. I I'll, I'll love watching movies with you and talking about them with you on this podcast.
1: I do as well, and I can't wait for next week's movies. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even say the name of the theme. I can barely can. read it. You want me to tell them what the movies are? yeah.
1: Tell them what the movies are.
0: Okay. So next week's episode, we've got Harold and Maude from 1971 and Ali Fear Eats the Soul from 1974. Woo. A couple of good ones. A couple of fucking good ones. Now, listen, if you want to get in touch with us at any time, please do so at I saw what you did, pod at gmail.com. Remember, we need questions for bonus episodes. Sometimes they jump to the main feed and uh we just like love hearing funny funny stuff from you guys. So send it away.
1: And you can also find us on our social media. We're at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. And guess what,
0: folks? We do have merch. We have a new I saw what you did hoodie. It's very cute. We've got tons of other things. So go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right Shop to find all of that.
1: Oh, well, until next week, can't wait, cannot wait. You're not going to guess the theme, guys. I, I mean, I will be truly shocked if anyone guesses. Yes. Um, but try. I want you to try.
0: Danielle, always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye.
1: This has been an Exactly Right production, produced by Casey O'Brien, mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogle, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. And you can email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.